the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, Lord, we just pray that you speak yet again through your word, that we might hear you, we might hear what the Spirit has to say, that we might receive your word, Lord, and we might grow more into your likeness, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. For those of you that are visiting, I just want to do a brief little review of where we are, we're in a series, we call it the Garden Principle, and uh, we're considering the fruit of the Spirit that, it, that God wants to grow and cultivate within us. We, we get this principle out of Isaiah chapter 51, verse 3. We, we have this uh, perception problem that the Lord tells us about, that we tend to see things in life differently than He does. We tend to see things, especially the negative emotional things in life, as being a wasteland, as being that nothing good can come from it. But in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 3, we read that God sees it differently. He sees it like a garden, a garden of the Lord. And it's in that garden that he speaks a word to us. And the way that we respond to that word shapes our character and shapes our destiny. We only have to go back to the beginning of the Bible to see that being true as God planted Adam and Eve in the garden and he spoke a word to them. And the way that they responded to that word in disobedience shaped their character and shaped their destiny. So we're considering the fruit of the Spirit. This is what God wants to cultivate in us. He wants to cultivate his character in us. And we get this list out of Galatians chapter 5, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And today we're going to consider the next fruit of the Spirit, which is faithfulness. Faithfulness. In the New Testament, we read of faithfulness. We re read it in the Greek that the word for it is pistos, P-I-S-T-O-S. And it's translated faith. So that we can just 
connect the dots, faithfulness is being full of faith. It seems simple. It seems easy. But even though it seems simple, we complicate things. We, we complicate things, something as simple as faithfulness, we complicate it. Now, let me just remind you that every fruit of the Spirit, every character that God wants to manifest in us, there's a counterfeit. There's a lie. There's something that the world, the flesh, and the devil wants us to believe is the truth when it's just a lie. And we see that with every character that we've been considering. And today is no different. As we consider faithfulness, what's the counterfeit to faithfulness? Well, we tend to, we tend to define faith that's this intellectual ascent. This is the counterfeit to what God wants to grow in us. Intellectual ascent. What do I mean? Well, it looks kind of like this. If there's an idea, if there's a philosophy, if there's some kind of theological construct, that if our minds, it causes our minds to agree with whatever it is that we are hearing, and we shake our head, say, I agree with that, I, I, I can buy that, I mentally agree with that, that seems right with me, then we say, I have faith in that. Whatever that is. And most people think of faith that way. Think of it as an intellectual ascent to a proposition. But that's not faith that we find in the Bible. That's not the faith that we read about in the New Testament. Faith or faithfulness. Do you realize that more times than not, faithfulness and faith is presented not as a noun, but it's presented as a verb. It's presented as an active verb. So that, again, in the Greek, pistos literally means to trust. So that faithfulness literally means abiding trust or constant trust. So that faithfulness, that what God wants to grow in us, is, is this, to be full of abiding trust. This is the character he wants to grow within us. And, of course, we know with all these characteristics that he wants to manifest, the greatest example of all of these is, of course, Jesus. We see this abiding trust in Jesus in his life that led him to the cross, trusting his Father, even with his death, trusting his Father with resurrection. But what else? Who else do we see in the Bible especially in the New Testament, that might be a perfect example of growing faithfulness, of this abiding trust. Well, I read it today out of Matthew 16. For those men that have been coming on Thursdays, you know that we've been studying the life of Peter. Simon, Peter, Simon, Peter, Cephas, they're all the same guy. But what a great example we have to consider this characteristic that God wants to grow within us because there are so many different stories about Peter, about his character. So let me refresh your memory. As I was reading out of the gospel of Matthew 16, Jesus turns to his disciples. Now there have been crowds of people that have been following Jesus as he's been teaching and preaching and healing. And they've all been called disciples. But a lot of those people left when the teaching got a little tough. But Jesus turns to these 12. And, and, and he says, who, who do these other people, who do these other people say I am? What's the, what's the word on the street? What are people saying? And you, you just have to kind of chuckle and laugh when, when, when they reply, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. That you've kind of come back to life, you got a head attached, you're John the Baptist. 
Other people think, well, maybe you're Jeremiah, you're a prophet, or Elijah. They think that highly of you, Jesus. That's the word on the street. That's what people think. But then Jesus surprises them, and he asked a question that we've always considered here. Well, who do you say I am? He's asking them. You've been with me the longest. You've heard me teach and preach. You, you know me better than this crowd. Who do you say I am? And it's dear old Peter. Peter who blurts out that you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And did you hear how Jesus replied to this? He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Why are you blessed? You're blessed because you didn't, you didn't hear that from the crowd. You didn't hear that from the people. You didn't hear that other word. But you're blessed because you heard God speak to you, my Father, and he revealed that to you. And then Jesus does the most extraordinary thing. He changes Peter's name. His name was Simon. You know what Simon means? Simon means listener. So he's changing his name from Simon, listener, to Peter, Petros, Cephas, and that means rock. In the masculine, in the Greek, it's rock. In the feminine, it's pebble. Pebble and rock. So he changes his name. And what, what a name. As again, we're thinking about Peter. Think about that, that, a little pebble. Think about a pebble. A pebble can be moved about in a stream, can it? It can be circumstantially moved. That's probably a better name for Peter, at least the Peter that we know. But Jesus changes his name to the masculine, and he calls him Cephas. And he, and he, and he changes his name to rock based on his profession of faith. Not a little pebble, but you're Cephas. You're a rock. So where a pebble might communicate to us instability and being pushed around by the current and streams... A rock indicates to us the sturdiness and the firmness that is unmovable. And that makes sense based on the profession that, uh, of, of faith that Jesus made about, or that Peter made about Jesus. But yet, we heard the rest of the story, didn't we, in Matthew chapter 16? Peter's life doesn't really exactly match up with being this rock. Being this sturdy, firm man of character, being unmovable. In fact, if anything, we think of a, a word to describe Peter, it would be instability. You know instability, don't you? I know I do. Saying one thing and doing another, kind of wobbly. You, 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 remember, you remember Peter? When, when, when Jesus, in Matthew 26, verse 33, when Jesus says that, that he's got to leave, and, 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 and then Peter says, look, Jesus, if all these other guys, if they leave you, if they desert you, guess what, Jesus? I'm your man. I'm with you. I will die with you. And then we read a little bit later in Matthew 26, verse 72, that this little old servant girl comes up, the big, bold Peter makes this great statement, little old servant girl, and says, aren't you one of them? Aren't you with him? And Peter says, I don't know him. I mean, that's an amazing moment, isn't it? 
Peter gets pushed around by life's moments. He's not a rock. He's a pebble. But you know what? You know what that spells for me? I don't know about you. You know what that spells for me? H-O-P-E. It spells hope. It spells hope because, you see, I know my own instability. I know my times are resolved. I know when I say to God, here's what I'm going to do, and I don't do it. Or those times when I said, Lord, I'll never do that, and it's the very thing that I do. It's what we read in Romans 7. It's the struggle that Paul had. I don't think it's just me. But I think we can all take great hope, H-O-P-E, and Peter, and what Jesus was able to accomplish in Peter. You read to the rest of the story, Peter stands in boldness on the day of Pentecost, and he proclaims the gospel with courage. Jesus grows him to be a man of extraordinary faithfulness and abiding trust. But again, back in the story that I read out of Matthew, after Peter professes Jesus as Christ, then Jesus describes what that really means. Because you see, people had different opinions what it meant to be the Messiah. They were expecting somebody to come and, and he was going to restore Israel back to the glory days. But Jesus says, now let me tell you what it means to be Messiah after you've given me that name. You're right. He says the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of Man, is going to have to suffer many things, be delivered into the hands of men, the elders, the religious authorities, and he must be killed and on the third day rise to life. Now, you know what Peter didn't do after he heard that? I don't agree with that. He, he, he doesn't say, well, praise God, Jesus. That's exactly the way I see it. No. He doesn't see it that way. When he hears the truth, he says, no. Now, that's an amazing moment again in the life of Peter. Because we're not talking about weeks or months, weeks, days. We're just talking about the snap of a finger where Jesus or Peter makes this great profession of faith and then just boom, instability. It's the same person. One minute he's confessing Christ as the Messiah. The next minute we're told that he's the mouthpiece of Satan. Now let me ask you, have you ever felt that way? You ever felt confused? You ever felt conflicted about your life? What to do? So many options. Which way do I go? Maybe we've sought God's guidance. Maybe, maybe we're so confused we don't know, which way do I go, Lord? And we have this internal conversation. Do this. No, do that. Oh, well, then I'll go ask friends. And friends say, well, I wouldn't do it that way. And then we look back and say, well, I did it this way in the past. Maybe that's what I ought to do. It's like this, this, this choir inside of us. That everybody's singing, but nobody's singing the same words. So many conflicting voices. So confusing. But you know what? To be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a follower of Christ, means that we're to be led by Him. 
means that we're to submit to his will in the power of the Holy Spirit. But so often what happens, we fall into a sea of instability because there are so many conflicting voices telling us to do so many different things. This is exactly what James wrote in James 1, verses 7 and 8. James, the half-brother of Jesus. James, who didn't come to believe Jesus, his own brother, until the resurrection. James says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all he does. And because he's double-minded, he shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. What's the point that James is making? The point that he's making is that we need faithfulness. We need abiding trust. If we're ever going to be useful to God, if if we're ever going to receive anything from God, we need to trust in him. Abiding trust. Faithfulness. But you know that our lives like a roller coaster I mean sometimes we're flying high we're we're up and we're high and we're soaring with the Lord and then something happens boom and we bottom out into the pit and we wonder where are you Lord where are you God and then we come out of the pit and we kind of hit a flat line to kind of plateau even kill not going forward not going back but then somehow we come back and we're soaring with the Lord again and then boom something happens and we're in the pits again that sound familiar? I don't think it's just me. You know the number one reason for roller coaster Christianity? The number one reason where we fly high, we drop down, we fly high, and drop down? The number one reason for that is the conflicting voices, the things that we hear inside of us, the things that we seek for guidance. And all of this instability we got to ask the question, which voice am I going to listen to? This is the greatest moment, the greatest point of shipwrecked Christianity, shipwrecked faith in Christ. Instability. So many different voices. It's the point that we've got to establish, the point that we've got to make a decision. What's the priority in our lives? To whom shall I listen? We probably have guessed. God plants us in a garden of instability. Why? To grow faithfulness. To cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. To be full of abiding trust. And we think, well, why would he do that? That doesn't make sense to me. Why put me in a sea of instability where everything is so confusing, I'm so conflicted? Why put me in a place of instability rather than on solid ground where everything seems to be so clear? I mean, that makes sense to me. Then he can grow faithfulness. But we've seen in this series that what God does The way that he changes us, it's not from reading books, it's not from writing essays, it's not from family breeding, it's not from economic ability, but God takes life, particularly those difficult moments, those difficult parts of life, those wilderness experiences that we think nothing good can come from that. And again, God says, I can use that, that in that moment, I can speak my word to you. And what's the word that he speaks? Again, I can use all things for good for those who love me. 
In other words, God has always given us his best. And what he's speaking to us in those difficult moments is that I'm calling you to trust me. Even though everything seems to be a wasteland, I'm asking you to trust me and see if I can't take this wasteland, this circumstance, and turn it into a fruitful garden where I can cultivate my fruit of the Spirit. And in this case, faithfulness. But in order to do it, to grow it, the priority we have to express or establish is who am I going to listen to? So many conflicting voices. The priority must be the Word of God, the voice of God. And that was Peter's dilemma. He was planted in a sea of instability, but he listened to all different kinds of voices. And Jesus challenged Peter like he challenges us today. Consider your priorities. Are we going to listen to the crowd? Are we going to listen to, the, to, to, to other voices? Or are we going to listen to the voice of God, the word of God? Are we going to listen to the world, the flesh, and the devil? Or are we going to listen to God? Are we, are we going to only agree with what we have faith in? That sounds good to me. I have faith in that. Are we going to have an abiding trust? Trust in God, even though we don't understand. You see, the counterfeit is just, I see it that way. And that's what I believe. That's what I put my trust in. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, it's so simple but it's so profound, that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. So we got we, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, we got to make this decision. Is God's word going to be the highest priority in my life? Will adhering to it and trusting it be my number one concern? even when that word seems to contradict what we might believe in. What my belief is, what I think is best, are we going to regard his word as higher than that? You see, that's what we heard Libby read today out of Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but all in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That we would make his word be our chief priority. Because you see, when we don't do that, we are left to drown in a sea of instability. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Whose voice are we going to listen to? Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you have heard it said. You've heard all the other voices all around you saying a lot of different things. But then he says, but I say this. I tell you this. Whose voice are we going to listen to? Time and time again we read in John's Gospel that Jesus says, truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word, whose voice are we going to listen to? Matthew 11, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Archbishop Foley Beach wrote an article recently about neo-paganism. 
actually it affects Anglicanism. And he made a point in that article to say that, you know, this Bible right here, we've been taught that this Bible contains the Word of God. I agree with that. It contains the Word of God. What we haven't been taught is that this Bible is the Word of God. Because if this contains the Word of God, guess what I can do? Well, I can now read however I want to read it. I can pick and choose what I agree with, and that's faithfulness. That's faith. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's what Satan wants us to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. We read, we read in, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16 that this contains all the words that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the Word of God. So many competing voices in our day. We live in a time of instability. Voices telling us about marriage. Voices telling us about sex our identity. Whose voice are we going to listen to? We live in a day, we live in a time of great instability. But you know what? Sometimes we're asked to walk through these difficult moments. And that's hard to do. Especially when we're in pain. Because you know what we want? We want God. We want God to make it all better. Kind of like bewitch. Twickle the nose. Boop, everything's better. But sometimes just walking through the tough stuff in life, in the power of the Holy Spirit, by His grace, guess what? People see Jesus. This is the whole point of this series. That as we, as we grow in the character of God, guess what? People see Jesus. God wants to transform our wilderness of instability in which he can cultivate a garden of faithfulness. And it's when we take his word and make it our top priority, when we listen to his word above all others, he grows faithfulness. I mean, quickly, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the heroes of our faith. Why are they heroes? You go and read Hebrews 11. It's a great list of all those because of their faith, not because of their talent or their education or their personality or their bank accounts, but because of their faith, their capacity to trust God, are they listed in the Hall of Fame to take God at His Word? Not just a mere intellectual assent. That's the counterfeit that comes from the pit of hell, but an abiding trust in what God has to say. He wants to grow faithfulness in our hearts in the garden of instability, and we are living in unstable times. But he's calling us to put his word above all other voices, all other voices that are, the volume's been turned up that we almost can't even hear. He wants us to put his word above all of that, make it our highest priority. And as we do, he grows this abiding trust in us. 
He grows this capacity to take him at his word so that we're full of faith. I just want to close with this. The vestry and the staff, we've considered what Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul, who was pouring into his protege, Timothy, he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, he says, Timothy, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Shipwrecked faith. Timothy, St. Paul's, guard what's been entrusted to you. Watch out for the godless chatter, all those other competing voices. What people call knowledge. Guard the word of God. That he might grow faithfulness because he is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Our Father and our God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. You're not a way. We thank you, Lord, that you teach us to pray our Father in heaven, not our mother in heaven. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken clearly about morality. Lord, in this time of Lent, prick our hearts, Lord, where we have wandered. Lord, where we have maybe gone astray. That we might turn and return to you. And we might make your word our greatest priority, Lord. That people see our abiding trust in you and they are drawn to you, Lord. The truth. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.